Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 107. When was the last time that both the Badgers and the Packers were not very good? I'm not going to say bad. Badgers still 4-2 coming out of the loss on Saturday. It's hard to say 4-2 is bad. Packers are 2-3. and three. We don't know what they're going to become. Transition year for both, it's looking like. I just can't remember in my lifetime, at 39 years old, the last time both Saturday and Sunday were not something you were looking forward to. Most of my life, both of those days have been great. And in some years, one has been good and one not so good. Both of them right now feel a little eh. Football season, not been great so far. We'll talk about the loss to Iowa. Just couldn't score. That's the analysis. Boom, done. Two seconds. Couldn't score points. 15-6 to loss at home. And it looks like Tanner Mordecai may be done for the year with a broken hand. That announced this morning. Could see a lot of Braden Locke. Could see some Nick Evers getting in there. Maybe Miles Burkett. We don't know. We'll talk all about that loss to Iowa, what it means going forward for Luke Fickle in year one. Packers had a bye week. Not a lot to go over there. We will recap the NFL. Bad injury news for the Brewers, too. It's just been bad news every single day since they clinched that playoff spot. Nothing good has happened. Brandon Woodruff had surgery. Looks like his upcoming season is also out. He is not going to play in 2024, it doesn't sound like. And the one good thing we've got going for us on national TV last night, Dame Lillard in a Bucks jersey. Giannis and Dame made their debut. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin! Record-breaking run! We're going to smash up the middle, face hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's incomplete, and there is your Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in, backed away, it's stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle ball throws it down! Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there. And they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. The other thing we have going for us is it is officially chilly season in the state of Wisconsin in the Midwest. We finally had that run of days now in the low to mid 50s, cloudy, breezy, it was really rainy this past weekend. Good napping weather and good chilly weather. My wife made the first batch of chili last night. Yes, it has noodles in it. Yes, noodles belong in chili. Debate a wall. Argue with a wall. Big whoop. Want to fight about it? If you think otherwise. I'm not going to get into the old chili mac thing. I did bring it up on the air this morning just because in radio, there are certain topics you can always go to. Should chili have noodles in it? For whatever reason, we could debate that every day as a topic, and it just never gets old to the audience, I think. <laughs> That's one. The other one is always is a hot dog a sandwich. Uh, one, once we get to Christmas season, is Die Hard a holiday movie. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? There are those things you can go to, those talking points that almost always seem to get some people involved on the text line, on the phone line. Noodles and chili. Yes, I've had noodles and chili my whole life. I love noodles and chili. Yes, it might be chili mac. I don't care. Here's one thing that maybe changes your life a little bit. We may as well, right? We may as well change some lives out there as long as we're recording this podcast. I started doing this two or three years ago, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but 
we had, my wife made a batch of chili. It had to be three-ish years ago. And we just had some leftover squeaky cheese curds in the fridge. And, you know, you put chili in your bowl, and a lot of people put some oyster crackers on there. You put a little shredded cheese, a little cheddar cheese, whatever, and a dollop of sour cream. Or in some people's case, you get the ice cream scoop out and put half a pound of sour cream on there. Those are the typical things you see people put on their chili. When I was going into the fridge to get some shredded cheese to put on top of it, I just saw those curds kind of sitting off by themselves, and it did. there weren't a whole lot left in the bag. Henning's cheese curds, the only ones to get. I thought, I think I'm going to put those in the chili. And I put them in the bottom of the bowl, and then I took two scoops of just piping hot chili, put it on top, and it changed my life when I got to the bottom of that bowl because it doesn't melt it completely. You put the shredded cheese on top of chili, sometimes it just melts it all together. I'm not saying that's bad. But the structure of the cheese curd kind of stays intact, but they become kind of melty, too. And you get this ooey-gooey goodness at the bottom of it. It almost becomes, the curd almost becomes like the middle of a deep-fried cheese curd. And then those are waiting for you as a nice special surprise at the bottom of a bowl of chili. There's nothing better. And I've been doing it every time since. We went to the grocery store yesterday to get all the chili accoutrement. And I had to get a couple of bags of the Henning's cheese curds. And you could mix flavors in there, too. I just went with the standard white and yellow. But you could get, there's all those different flavors, dill flavor if you like that or whatever. You could put a different flavor in there, too. I'm telling you right now, you put a handful of cheese curds at the bottom of the chili bowl. And then you put the pour, pour the piping hot chili on top of it. It'll change your life for the better. Chili season is in full effect. We've got that going for us, too. Let's begin at the start. With no Packer game, we'll talk about that Badger mess against Iowa Camp Randall. I went with the boys. We had a good time. A great time. Madison on game day, the energy, the beer, the parties. Where would you go if you had one football game you could go to in the course of a football season? You could either spend a game day, Badger Saturday game day in Madison, or Packer game day in Green Bay. They each have their different feels. I don't know. I think I might go Madison. There is just an energy in that place when you get there and the band's going and we were kicking back a few beers. We walked in a little bit late. We had one of those where you're having such a good time pre-gaming and you look around and say, does it really matter if we get in before kickoff? Is that a big deal to anybody? And then... You get past kickoff and you think, what if we got there at halftime? Is that an insane thing to do? I mean, we did spend money on the tickets, but what if we walked in at halftime? I think we got it in some point midway through the first quarter. And we didn't miss anything. We could have missed the whole game. We could have just stayed tailgating the whole time. That's sort of what we landed on maybe by the end of it is we should do this once a year, but we don't necessarily have to get tickets every year. We could just do the whole tailgate thing, do the whole Badger game day stuff, hang out at a bar, restaurant, make the rounds, and just do it that way. It's a lot cheaper. Well, we did. We had a good time. My buddy Paul had never been to a Badger game. He got to be there with all the fine folks and see jump around and do that whole thing. It was a good time. But the game itself was an abject disaster. We said, was it on Friday's podcast? I was talking about how, and we've talked about this a lot, but especially on Friday, I said, you know, we got caught up in the year one hype. Who wouldn't? I don't know that anybody was not guilty of that. I'm sure there's that 5% or 10% segment of fans that are saying right now, I told you. I told you so. I told you this wasn't going to be a quick turnaround. Okay. Most Badger fans, when they hired Fickle and they got all the transfers and the Fickle signal and the week schedule and all of that, we all got excited. Okay? We got wrapped up in it in year one hype. And I said on Friday's podcast, and we've said it before Friday, but it just appears as though we're not as far down the line as we thought. With the week schedule and the transfers, thought maybe you could get a 10 or 11 win season. 
the most optimistic fans thought, oh, maybe you could even challenge for a college football playoff spot this year. And we weren't the only ones. The, the common fan, there were analysts out there on ESPN and FS1 before the season began that had the Badgers as a surprise college football playoff participant, as a four seed or whatever, because the schedule looks so weak and because of this influx of talent that was on its way in. Once we got past Rutgers, and I said on Friday's podcast, I'm no longer waiting for the game this year. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not waiting for the game where they win 45-10. to 10. I'm not waiting for the game where the dairy raid really takes off. It just didn't feel like at this point it's going to happen. And not only did it not happen on Saturday, it went the opposite direction. On Friday, I used the road trip metaphor where when the season began, we thought we were 5 or 10 miles away from our destination already. And as the games have gone by, and things have not gone particularly well, it feels like, yeah, we are maybe a little further down the line than that. We probably need one full recruiting class that are just fickle guys, maybe two full fickle recruiting classes. We're more like 70 miles down the road or 75 miles down the road. Well, after after Saturday's game, are we even in the car? Have we even gotten in the car? Has the alarm gone off? Have we gotten up, packed the car, hit the ignition, and even gotten on the road yet? It was just another step backwards this year. I maintain, as I have throughout this podcast, throughout this Badger season, great things are coming for the Badgers. What's really a bummer about this year is that it's the last year of the Big Ten West, and the Big Ten West is horrifically bad. If there were ever a year to capitalize on how bad the Big Ten West is to win that part of the conference, get to a Big Ten title game, even if that means at this point getting absolutely dusted by Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State, or almost any team in the East, I still would prefer they get there than not. Next year, the schedule gets tougher. Next year, the divisions go away. Next year, you're dealing with Alabama non-conference. You're dealing with USC. It's never going to be easier than it was this year to get to the Big Ten championship game. And it looks like that's a high likelihood of not happening. That's one of the biggest bummers of just this year specifically, of the 2023 year. It was all there in front of them. Even with the transition, even with the question mark talent-wise, it felt like this was a team that could win the Big Ten West, get to the Big Ten championship game. It is going to be a tough haul once these divisions go away and it's just one giant conference and you're adding all of these power pack 12 teams that are all top 10, top 15, top 20 teams this year. It is going to be a much more difficult road in the upcoming years than it would have been this year. Just feels like a missed opportunity this year, even though at this point I had a text on the B93 morning show. We were talking about that. They say, well, at least we don't have to watch them get killed in the Big Ten championship game, which at this point, even if you would have beaten Iowa and everything else would have gone your way, you get smoked by Ohio State, but you beat the rest of the teams you should beat on your schedule. I don't think anybody thought that this team was going to be anything less than a 20 or 21 point underdog to whatever team is in the Big Ten championship game on the east side. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, whatever team. I still would have liked to get there, though, because you're just never going to have this opportunity again where it looks so easy to make it. It's just a mess offensively. We'll talk about just the Badger defense quickly. It wasn't on them, obviously. They gave up, well, it was a 15-6 to game. The safety accounted for two points. They gave up 13 points. Deacon Hill passed for 37 yards. I cannot believe the Badgers lost a game where the opposing team had 37 yards passing. Now, look, if you want to get on the Badger defense and say they gave up 200-plus yards on the ground, John, how could they allow that when Deacon Hill had no ability to get the ball down the field? They have no wide receivers that can stretch the field. You know they are going to run the ball. How did you allow them to run for 200 yards and 4.2 yards of carry and get a touchdown? I think when we sat down was the 85-yard touchdown run. We literally got to our seats, sat down, as LaShawn Williams was scampering 85 yards for a touchdown, the people around us said, you got to get out of here. <laughs> this is bad juju. you got to go. You have got to go. 
If you want to take that perspective on the defense and say, how could you let them get these yards on the ground when you know they can't push it down the field? Fine. At the end of the day, the defense gave up 13 points. You must win a game at home in college football if your defense only gives up 13 points. So real quick on that. And I do want to give a couple of compliments Iowa's way. First of all, Deshaun Williams and their offensive line should be complimented with literally no passing game to speak of. They did pile up 200 yards on 48 carries, 4.2 yards a carry and a touchdown. The MVP of the day, though, was the Iowa punter. Well, the kicker, too, Drew Stevens, was excellent. Torrey Taylor. The battle of field position where neither of these teams could get anything going and you were hoping for maybe shorter fields and less yardage to pick up to even get in field goal range. Torrey Taylor, that Iowa punter, when he needed to, he'd kick it 60 yards and pin you inside the 10. When he was kicking from midfield, he'd be able to shorten it up, put more hang time on it, get it inside the 10. He dominated the field of the field position game all day. Iowa's defense was a big part of that too. But Torrey Taylor pinned the Badgers in tough spots all afternoon and just put them in unenviable positions on the field. And for an offense that couldn't gain any yards with your back inside the 10, inside the five-yard line, it made for a long day. Torrey Taylor was the MVP of that game for Iowa. It ends up being a 15-6 loss. The offense couldn't get moving. Braylon Allen was okay in spots, I guess. 18 carries, 87 yards, five yards a carry. The passing offense couldn't seem to get on track. Now, Tanner Mordecai did get hurt, and we found out this morning it sounds like a broken hand. He had surgery. They put a pin in his hand. I think Luke Fickle at the end of the game said it didn't look good. That is obviously confirmed with the news this morning. How long he's out, we don't know. No timetable on that. It seems very unlikely he would play at Illinois or against Ohio State. The question is going to become, and we'll maybe delve into this a little bit later, do you even want to give Tanner Mordecai reps? Does he even want reps with the amount of pressure he's under and the hits he's taking? Tanner Mordecai came to the Badgers with one year of eligibility left as a fifth-year senior, having put together two spectacular years at SMU, but it's SMU. His thinking, and I think the Badger program thinking was, get him over into a power conference, have him put up numbers in this Phil Longo offense, and then when draft time comes around, Tanner Mordecai can say and have tape of saying, not only did I do it at SMU, because that would have been his number one detraction. You threw 70 touchdowns in two years, but it was at SMU. Had he come to Wisconsin and had things gone the way we thought they'd go, he maybe could have said, yeah, and then I also threw four 30 touchdowns or 25 touchdowns in a Power 5 conference against Power 5 defenses. This was supposed to raise his draft stock. And as we talked about on Friday, even though I don't think a lot of the issues offensively revolve around him and he's doing the best that he can, I'm not sure that that has played out the way he wanted it to, where he has better film against better defenses on tape come NFL draft time. My guess would have been if Mordecai went into the draft after his last two years at SMU, he probably would have been a fifth or sixth round pick. He's probably still there, right? I mean, maybe on the high end, early fifth round, late fourth round at at the uh, in the best possible spot. For that reason, because of the reason he came. If he's healthy, maybe they throw him back out there if he gets healthy for the final couple games. I do think he gives you the best chance to win right now still. Not that that really matters at this juncture. If you're looking at the big picture of the long-term future of this program, you obviously want to win every game you're in, but this season pretty much feels like a wrap. If he does get healthy, my guess is because of loyalty and because of the reasons Mordecai came, they will give him a chance to get on the field and put more numbers up and put more film out there. But you could certainly make a case as a Badger fan, somebody did in our text line this morning, that if he's out for an extended period, it might be good anyway because you've got to get a look at these guys that could be here next year. Brayden Locke, it's tough to assess his performance on Saturday because he comes into a game against a good defense and he's 
down. You're on. You're against a good defense, and the team is down. As we just talked about, field position was not working in their favor. Redshirt freshman quarterback who didn't take any reps with that first team during practice. It's difficult to look at Braden Locke's afternoon and say it was good or bad. He was 15 of 30, 122 yards. He had the pick late. He had the fumble on the drive where the Badgers still had a chance to win. They just had give me one touchdown drive. We were saying that at the game. They got that ball back, and it was 12 to 6 at that point, I think. Or was it 15 to 6? No, it was 12 to 6 at that point. And you get the ball at your own 30, and that was the drive where Braylon Allen coughed at the ball, but then they went to review, and he ended up getting the first down on fourth and one. We just all said, just give us one touchdown. That's all we're looking for is one touchdown drive and win this game 13-12. to He had the fumble on that drive, so he had a couple of turnovers. I did think he put a little spice on the ball. It didn't seem like it was lacking any steam coming out of his hand. Needs to make decisions quicker. Again, though, against a good defense, a redshirt freshman quarterback who didn't get the practice reps. I think he did about as good as you can. We will get a better assessment of Braden Locke. He is the likely starter at Illinois against Brett Bielema this weekend. When he takes reps with the first team all week and he gets to play a road game in the Big Ten, maybe after Saturday's matchup we'll have a better evaluation or a better idea of what Braden Locke gives you, whether maybe he does give you a better chance to win than Mordecai. I guess we don't really know. It just feels like Mordecai does give you the best chance to win games right now. But these are guys you got to get a look at. Braden Locke could be your starting quarterback next year. Nick Evers, the four-star transfer from Oklahoma, he is likely to be in the mix next year. And Miles Burkett. I wouldn't mind seeing Miles Burkett for a game. The standout at Franklin, the hometown product. He probably could have transferred in the offseason when all these four-stars were coming in, and they've got four-stars that are coming as freshmen next year. He saw the writing on the wall. Miles Burkett, I think, easily could have gone to a mid-major team and gotten playing time this year and put some film out there for himself and gotten into games and got that PT. But he stayed, and he said from basically the first interview of the offseason, he wants to be here, he thinks he can compete with these guys, and he wants to stay in the mix. Maybe you can see a little bit of him. But those guys are the guys that are looking like potential starting quarterbacks next year, Locke and Evers, and yeah, maybe Miles Burkett. I don't know. At this point, given you're at 4-2, and two, and it's a 2-1 and one record, and Iowa's now 3-1 and one in conference, they have the tiebreaker, you've got to assume the Badgers are at least losing to Ohio State. Yet, that puts them at two conference losses, which would mean Iowa would have to lose two more to have any chance to win the Big Ten West. This team is not going anywhere this year, except for maybe a December 28th or 29th bowl game. It makes sense now to see Bradenlock for a couple games, maybe to see Evers for a couple games just to see if you have anything to build on heading into next year. But my guess is we're going to get a full game's worth of Braden Locke at Illinois on Saturday. The offense has been just such a letdown, though. And Iowa's defense is good, but when we were having dreams of the dairy raid and that four wide receivers spread offense that Phil Longo is known for, putting up 30-plus points a game, trying to meld together his air raid with that classic Badger running style, it's just been a disaster. The offensive line still is a problem. The Packer issues and the Badger issues really do mirror each other, where you've got young quarterbacks, you've got a transition year, and you're just not getting them the protection they need. That was a problem with both Mordecai and Locke on Saturday. Again, we said on Friday, in my lifetime, this is as poor as the offensive line has been. Last year was probably the second most poor offensive line. This year, the poorest offensive line. That has been an issue as well, trying to get this offense on track. Never would I have guessed those six points, even with a good defense. I thought maybe there was a chance they'd win that game 9-7. to They came out in the third quarter, outscored Iowa 6-0, get one stop, get the ball back, get a 9-7 lead, and you feel like you could maybe win that game with the way the defense is playing. But to no avail in a 15-6 to loss at home now drops them to 4-2 and 2-1 and in conference. Now you've got Illinois, as we said. 
I guess you look at the schedule, the remaining schedule, and you say, please don't lose to Brett Bielema. Let's not have this loss twice in a row. I did hear some people in the Badger postgame driving back on Saturday comparing Saturday's loss against Iowa to last year's home loss to Illinois. I don't know. That Illinois loss was so, so bad. It is a similar feel, though. I think Iowa, well, Iowa's 6-1 and one now, 3-1 and one in conference. But with Deacon Hill as their quarterback, I don't know. I don't think it's that bad. It's not far behind. If you want to put it there, I have no problem with that. In my opinion, the Illinois loss last year was like a program low. This might be a season-low situation for the Badgers for the 2023 season, the way they played and the way they took that L at home on Saturday. It felt like that Illinois loss was something more last year. That wasn't just a season low for 2022. That was like one of the worst losses in the last decade or 15 years for the Badgers. So for that reason, I wouldn't elevate it to that level. But if you want to, fine. I don't care. It's fine. Now you're praying they don't lose to Bielema a second year in a row. That's this coming weekend. You assume they're going to lose to Ohio State by four or five touchdowns. What do you think the spread's going to be on that game in two weeks? I did hear some. I think I was listening to Locked on Badgers on Sunday afternoon going on a little fall run. And they were trying to talk themselves into salvaging this year. And, oh, you beat Brett Bielema on the road. That would be good. A little revenge for last year. And then if you could beat Ohio State, if you could just beat Ohio State, you might be able to salvage the whole year. I appreciated that, but there's no chance of that happening. I bet they're going to be 20 to 22-point underdogs for that Ohio State game. I think you look at the schedule and you say, beat Brett Bielema this weekend and get the axe back, and if those are the only two wins for the rest of the year, I mean, I feel bad for myself having the over on 8.5 or the over on 9. If those are the only two wins you get the rest of the year, you earmark that and you move forward into 2024. I do want to throw something out there. I know Badger fans were down bad on Saturday, myself included. And you've gotten to a point already six games into the Fickle era where people are (laughs) basically cutting bait on Luke Fickle and saying, this was the guy we fired Paul Chris for this guy, or we didn't sign Jim Leonard for this guy. Jim Leonard could have done this. He could have been four and two and two and one in conference. Paul Chris could have done this, which I actually don't sort of disagree with for this specific year. The thing is, these are all Chris guys still. And what has become obvious as these weeks have gone by is that the fickle system, the long-go offensive system with Chris guys, and they got some transfers, yes, but the systems they want to implement with the personnel they have, this is a square peg round hole situation. They're trying their best to wedge it in there and get as many wins as they can. I believe this is the biggest stumbling block that they have right now is they've got Paul Chris personnel, and Paul Chris and those recruiting classes were not great his last couple of years. So you're below the talent level of the best of the Chris era from 2017 and 2016, 2017, 2018. You've got a lesser crop of talent, and then you've got guys that don't really fit into the system that the new head coach, the new offensive coordinator want to play. Defense has been okay. And that's where we're at right now. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, we have to see a full Fickle recruiting class. You're not going to see Fickle's guys, his young guys, until next year, the year after that, the year after that. This is going to take a while. We were hoping it would be a one-year turnaround and they'd be 10-win team, 11-win team, and right back in the mix in the national conversation. It's looking more and more now like we are on a three- to five-year road with the Look Fickle program. I still believe great things are coming. I understand people are down and they're going to get upset with Fickle, and this is what the guy we brought in. Was this even the right move? Just a reminder to people, kind of like the perspective we had on Jordan Love on Friday's podcast and compared him to Aaron Rodgers and what people were saying about Rodgers in 08. Nick Saban, in his first year at Alabama, 7-6. and six. Now, I'm not saying Luke Fickle is going to be Nick Saban. And this Badger program under Luke Fickle is not going to go out there and win however many four or five national titles and be in the college football playoffs every year and be the preseason number one. That's not where we're going. But it is important to remember that a lot of historically great coaches in their first year at a program – 
it takes them a little while, especially when you're playing with guys that are not your guys. Saban had a 7-6 and six year in Alabama. The next year, they started to trend toward a national champion caliber, and Alabama's history is obviously richer than Wisconsin's, but it's important to remember some of those all-time great coaches had pretty rough starts at new programs, 500 starts, below 500 starts, and it feels like that's maybe what we're in the middle of right now with Fickle. We'll see what they can do. They open as two-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Illinois. You look at the schedule now, and especially with Mordecai not playing any of these games, I could see a win or a loss. I could easily see them losing this game. Hopefully they can find a way to win. They're obviously going to lose to Ohio State. You could see them losing any of these. At Indiana, at home against Northwestern, at home against Nebraska. I mean, you hope not, but given the way they've played, and now you're probably going to be playing redshirt freshman quarterbacks the rest of the way, any one of these games is a potential loss, and some of them are not potential wins, looking at Ohio State. They have a 2.30 kickoff on Saturday. Yeah, they open as two-and-a-half-point favorites. That'll be on FS1 this Saturday. All right, let's talk about let's talk about Dame Lillard, everybody. There's not a whole lot to go on here other than that we finally got to see him on the floor in a Bucks jersey, and it was beautiful. It's indescribably beautiful. It reminds me of the 4th of July. It's like the 4th of July. It just took me a moment turning the game on last night. And I knew, we all knew as Bucks fans, I had people, Bucks fans I follow on Twitter, tweeting out at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Dame Lillard plays for the Bucks today. Talked about it on Friday's podcast that we were finally going to get a look at these guys, Giannis and Dame, on the floor together in L.A., taking on the Lakers. LeBron didn't play. They didn't play a lot of their horses. Anthony Davis didn't play. Just to see him in a Bucks jersey and drill those first couple threes. He had an okay night, 14 points. Yes, 3 of 10 shooting, 2 of 7 from beyond the arc. He's going to have to knock some rust off. You did see, though, what is going to make this team a nightmare to defend. Because the Lakers' game plan for Dame last night was to blitz him, which you don't really see in preseason games. It was an ultra-aggressive game plan from the Lakers last night. They were double-teaming and blitzing him on the first play of the game, and once Dame got his feet under him, he was making all the passes, and he's just finding Giannis wide open. If they're going to double Dame, are you kidding me? And you're going to get Giannis on one-on-one matchups inside or running free inside? Giannis said after the game, that's the easiest I've ever had it. That game was the easiest I've ever had it where two guys are paying attention to Dame because he's Dame. And Giannis even said it's not even that he was out there shooting the lights out, which he will do a lot this year, where he's shooting 70% and drilling all these threes. He was getting double teamed just because of who he is. And that freed up Giannis to just dominate inside. Giannis had 15 points in 12 minutes or some crazy efficient rating. He said that's as easy as life has been for him so far in a Bucks jersey. And they didn't even have Middleton out there. There was an interesting article about Middleton in the Journal Sentinel on Saturday morning or Sunday morning talking about his new role with the team. And he seems very comfortable with it. He basically said, look, I'm not going to be here and be a selfish guy. We've got a Hall of Fame forward. We've got a Hall of Fame point guard now. They are proven in this league, as Middleton is, but he basically said, I'm not going to be the guy who's going to be arguing for shots or be in a locker room issue because I'm not getting the ball enough. He said, Dame's here to win a title. I want to win another title, and I am ready to get the lineup together where I am now a third scoring option, and he's going to see shots too. I mean, Middleton's going to have open looks, you would think, a lot of the year because they're going to have to hit Giannis with double teams. They're going to have to hit Dame with double teams. I would think we're going to see Middleton get more open looks this year than he probably has in six or seven years. It was a good article, though, about Middleton accepting this new role as the third guy. And that's coming from a player who, on a championship team, was a legitimate 1B. You can have the argument, if you want, about Middleton for the duration of his career being a legit number two or a legit 1B to a 1A. 
in that postseason, when you go back and look at the box scores and all the big hits, shots he hit and the game winners he hit and the go-ahead baskets in Brooklyn and taking over in Atlanta in the third quarter and taking over Atlanta in the fourth quarter, leading the team when Giannis was down, he was a legit 1B on a team that won a title. And if it weren't for Giannis and the 50-burger, you could have easily made a case for Middleton being an MVP or a finals MVP or a playoff MVP as well had Giannis not had these transcendent performances when he came back. I thought it was a really quality read about Middleton and what his new role is going to be in this new offense now with Dame out there and Giannis out there. It was just a pleasure to watch. It just took a while for your eyes to adjust. Like, that's Damian Lillard, and he is wearing a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. Thank the Lord God, because this football season so far has been a tough one overall in Wisconsin. We've got that ready to crank up next week. I very much doubt. I guess we'll see. I doubt they're going to play a whole lot more in the preseason. They only have one or two more games remaining, and then the opener is next Thursday night on national TV. Just a delight to see Dame Lillard wearing a Milwaukee Bucks jersey with the Bucks logo on. I still can't believe it in some ways. What a fun game to watch last night. That's the first preseason game. I actually sat down and had the TV on at the beginning of an NBA preseason game in October. Even with how good the Bucks have been in this recent run in the Giannis era where they're winning titles in the playoffs, preseason favorites, whatever, I can't tell you. I don't think I've watched a preseason game since I was like 12 years old maybe, and it was the Big Dog and Ray Allen and all those guys, and we were getting excited for the first time in 20 years. I cannot tell you the last time I sat down excited to watch an NBA preseason game. That was a lot of fun last night seeing Dame out there for the first time for the Bucks. And let's end on what we got to do. We do want to do a quick NFL recap. We'll end on the NFL recap and talk a little bit with the Packers. There's one Brewer note, and it's not good. Brandon Woodruff looks like he is out for the 2024 season. He's had surgery now on that right shoulder. It was the same issue that kept him out for most of the year last year. Came back in August, was dominant, then hurt himself again, as we all know. And a day before the playoffs began with Arizona, he had that press conference where he said he hurt the same shoulder and he's going to be on the shelf and likely not to be with the team for the playoffs. Well, he had the surgery, and they've essentially already ruled him out for 2024. (laughs) What this would do to the plan that I had that a lot of Brewers fans had of maybe going all in this year. Remember we did that podcast and wrote the blog about maybe they take a 2011 approach where in that offseason, Prince was set to be a free agent, one more year left on his deal. They could have traded him for something, probably two or three prospects at the time, restocked the farm system. Instead, they traded their prospects, got the pitching to supplement the offense. They went for it. They came up short. This is actually this day in history, guys, (laughs) for a fun tidbit for you that I got on my show prep this morning. This day in history, October 16th, 2011, was Game 6. Cardinals and Brewers at Miller Park with Sean Markham on the hill, and the Cardinals took a 4-0 lead before anybody could even sit down. Just disgusting. They went for it, though, that year, and the theory that we posited was maybe they do that this year. The thinking all along has been we trade Burns, we trade Woodruff, we trade Adamas in the offseason, they all have one year of control left. There will be a lot of teams that want them for the upcoming season. Looking at you, Baltimore, team that won 101 games that had no pitching. I think they would give up a couple of decent prospects to get a guy like Corbin Burns. The idea was, though, you take the other approach. You trade some of your prospects. You spend a little money. You get a couple of legitimate bats in the middle of the order. You bring all three of those guys back, and you roll with it. If you lose them all at the end of next year, you lose them. I guess you'd have one more chance, too, if you did it that way and it went south early, you would still have a chance to trade them at the deadline this upcoming year. You wouldn't get the return that you would get if you traded them in winter or before spring training. There is that escape hatch, though. I mean, you would have had that. You could have pulled that ripcord if you wanted to if things really went bad early. 
the nightmare scenario would have been going all in. You're in first place until after the trade deadline, and then it just falls apart on you, and you don't make the playoffs, or you're out like you were out this year, and then you lose all of them. You would have had that back door out, though, of maybe trading some of those guys at the deadline. But that was the thinking. And remember in the podcast we said a lot of this is based on assuming, for the sake of argument, that Woody was going to be back at some point. I don't know that any of us thought Woody would be ready to go on opening day, but maybe middle of the year, maybe he'd be back around the all-star break and you'd get a half season worth of Woody. Well, that's out the door now. I don't know that they were thinking about doing that plan anyway, where they'd go all in. You would think though, that this would impact that. Although some of the chatter from Brewer folks is that this means they will keep Burns. Well, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You don't have Woody. Now you're talking about having to go out and get a couple of bats and probably a starting pitcher. If you wanted to go all in, unless you have that much faith in, Aaron Ashby coming back off of injury, or you think Adrian Hauser can make some kind of a leap that we haven't seen so far? I don't know. But if you're going to go all in now, you likely need an arm on top of needing a few bats. With the Woody news, and I was texting a buddy about this, with the Woody news, it almost feels like you go the opposite way now. It almost feels more likely you trade Burns, you trade Adamas. Woody maybe sticks around. We talked about that when the injury was announced. There's a chance maybe he sticks around for a few years now because he's going to have to. I think that's the case. I think they could and should. They offer him a deal, maybe a two-year deal, where he's under contract for this upcoming year as he rehabs, and then he gets one year after that to prove himself before he goes back on the market. You do wonder if this is going to impact not just this year but his career. If the Brewers Are the Brewers going to lose two big righties to freak injuries? You know what I mean? Jimmy Nelson. Think about Jimmy Nelson. I don't know that Jimmy was ever, well, I don't know. Jimmy at his height in 2017 or 2016, 2017, when that team was trying to scratch and claw their way into the playoffs. And before that night, he got hurt at Wrigley. He was pitching a jam and he was giving you some offense. He was a 13, 14 game winner with a mid three ZRA. Very similar to Woodruff. Are we going to lose two, two building block, big righty starting pitchers to freak injuries in the span of six or seven years? My God. Woody, though, I would think now, if you offered him a two-year, I don't know, $25 million deal or $20 million deal where he gets paid more during this season of rehab and then he gets a one-year to prove it in 2025 before he would hit the open market. But now it does feel more likely that you trade those guys, you restock the farm system, you roll with what you can with Peralta and Adrian Hauser probably, you bring him back, and who am I missing there? Who else is under contract for this team? Robert Gosser probably gets a call up then, their top AAA pitcher. Who's the other pitcher I'm missing in that equation? Not Corbin, not Woody. Oh, Ashby. So they've got Ashby kind of side of that similar Freddie deal. Freddie would be your ace then. I don't know about that, but he's a very good three. He's a very good 2B3. I don't know if he's a guy that you want to ride into the season that's an ace, but if you're not looking to win a World Series, maybe you're fine with that. I don't know. Now with the Woody injury, if you gave me a guess as to what they're going to do, are they going to go all in or are they going to trade these guys and maybe they take a step back, I would guess it's going to be the latter. Just tough news. Everything since the clinch has been a mess. They clinched the playoffs. Good vibes all around. They're going to get home playoff games. Then the Woody News, that seemed to bring them down. Then you caught up the lead in game one. You caught up the lead in game two. The season comes to an unceremonious end like that after a 92-win year. And then the first bit of offseason news is that you lost one of your star pitchers for the upcoming year. (laughs) Just not an ideal situation for the Brewer fans out there. All you can do is laugh because what's the alternative? And we still don't really know what's going on with Craig Council. That is still floating out there, which to me means he's probably gone. You do not wait for good news. If his idea was that he wanted to come back, my guess is we'd know that already. 
And now we're into, what, two weeks after the year ended, still kind of waiting on him. Maybe he takes until the end of the year. I still think the likely scenario there is that he's either going to retire or they sign him extension. It just feels like he's going to step away for a while at this point. All right, let's run through the NFL real quick, then we'll just touch on the Packers. Interesting day in the NFL for a lot of the heavy favorites who not only didn't cover but ended up being outright losers. This was a tough day if you had a parlay or a teaser. We ended our weekend 3-2-1 gambling, which I feel incredible about given the amount of upsets we saw on college football Saturday and especially on NFL Sunday. 3-2-1. We're over 500 now on the year. Ravens got the win against Tennessee. That was in London. Third straight London game. And then where they have a Germany game on the way. Commanders beat the Falcons. I told you after the Packers played the Falcons, Desmond Ritter is not a starting quarterback in the NFL, and he is continuing to prove why. A three-interception game and two just awful passes as they were driving to try to tie the game late. Commanders got a 24-16 win in Atlanta. <laughs> Vikings and Bears. What an old-fashioned NFC Central slug match that was. A couple of one-in-four teams. Uh, we had Justin Fields lead with injury. Who was his replacement undrafted rookie, Bagent? Is that who it was? Or Bagent? Bagent Zero? He throws a pick late. Vikings hang on to get a win 19-13. to And all of the hope and optimism after the one good Justin Fields game and the 20-point win against Washington, boop, gone. Vikings are 2-4 and four now. Bears fall to 1-5. and five. They would have the second pick in the draft if the season ended today. Bengals covered for us. That was a gambling win. 17-13 hung on in Cincy over the Seahawks. Upset of the day, maybe? Well, not maybe, probably. There was a 10-point spread. Remember how excited I was on Friday that I got that at a 9-point spread or whatever it was? Niners on the road in Cleveland. No Deshaun Watson for the Browns. Niner defense has been locked down. Brock Purdy, he had a stinker finally. After all the success he's had, everybody's high on him. It's his first loss, I'm pretty sure, as a starting quarterback. It was a soggy day in Cleveland. Maybe the rain had a big impact on that one. And then the Niners had a chance to kick a field goal late. I would imagine plenty of people that had Niners in a money line parlay were watching that 41-yard field goal and thinking, who are going to escape here? We're going to escape with a one-point win and then just shanked outside. A 19-17 win for the Browns in Cleveland as they are 3-2 and on the year. Dolphins were a cover for us as well. That looks scary early. Panthers had a 14-0 lead in Miami. Miami ends up blowing them out 42-21. Jaguars all over the Colts, 37-20. Gardner Minshew got the start there with Anthony Richardson out. Jaguars now 4-2. Texans, that AFC South future I picked, looking okay. They're a game back of Jacksonville with a win against Jacksonville. The, the game, though, on Sunday did hurt my NFC South future where I have the Saints to win that division. Texans over the Saints, 20-13. C.J. Stroud just continues to look like the building block quarterback that they were hoping for, a franchise quarterback. The Raiders beat the Patriots, who might be one of the worst teams in the league. Is, is Belichick going to get to the record? It seemed inevitable that Belichick was going to pass Don Shula as the winningest coach in NFL history. And you start to wonder now, I have to look at how many wins all-time coaching wins NFL. It seemed a foregone conclusion that he was going to get to that. They're not going to fire him. He's got, Shula's got 328, Hallis has 318, and Belichick has 299. Boy, I don't know. Is he going to get past? That's a lot of wins he has to get. He has to get 29 more wins to get past him? Yeah. That would mean sticking around. If they're going to be bad for a few years, that would mean he's going to have to coach three or four more years. Is that right? I thought he was closer than that. Anyway, Patriots are 1-5 now. They lose to Vegas. Vegas 500, 21-17. They're 3-3. 
Rams win 26-9. Cooper Cup is back, and he looks like he hasn't missed a beat in his two weeks back. Seven catches, 148 yards, and a touchdown. And the Cardinals are starting to look like what we thought they would be. They fall to 1-5. Another upset of the day, and another one that I'm sure ruined a ton of money line parlays and teasers. The Jets get a win against the Eagles. First time ever. 20-14. Deepman's got it done without Sauce Gardner out there. Jalen Hurts throws a terrible pick late. They let Brees Hall score in the fourth quarter to get the ball back, and they couldn't do anything with it, and the Jets are 3-3. Three and three. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers is out there throwing a football and walking without crutches a couple of weeks after the Achilles injury. Remember, he said he was going to make it back. His goal was to make it back for the playoffs, which we all scoffed at because even if he would have been healthy in January, the idea that the Jets were going to be still playing when he might be able to come back seemed absurd. I don't know anymore. They're a fringe playoff team right now at 3-3 three and three with that win against the Eagles. Lions take down the Buccaneers in Tampa. That does help my NFC South future. Another loss for Tampa. Lions are 5-1 and one now. They're tied with the Niners and the Eagles for the number one seed in the NFC. And their defense is coming together. Are the Lions not only the favorite in the NFC North, could they be the favorite in the entire conference? It's possible. And then late last night, another one that I'm sure ruined a lot of teasers. Bills were 14-point favorites at home against an abysmal Giants team. Giants had the lead all the way into the fourth quarter, and the Bills get a 14-9 win. Controversy at the end as the Giants were driving. Looked like a pretty clear pass interference penalty on the final play of the game. They don't call it. Bills get the ball and take a knee, and they escape with a five-point win. They are 4-2 and two on the year. And now we get set for Packers-Broncos. They'll be back at practice on Wednesday. The number one injury thing we're looking at if you're a Packer fan is, is Aaron Jones going to be back or not? And will that be able to help them on Sunday where finally Jordan Love would get his number one offensive weapon back? Other injuries that you're keeping an eye on, Jair, he's still battling that back injury. The two linebackers, Quay Walker, who left the game and didn't return, although it does sound like he missed what could have been a potentially significant knee injury. Sounds like he dodged that, and the feeling is, I guess, that Quay going to be on the field on Sunday. If you can get Quay and Devondre back out there against what has been a pretty poor Bronco offense, feel okay about that. Defense has been okay, not great, okay recently. And then you just hope the offense is going to be able to get going, get Aaron Jones back, get some more cohesive offensive line play against literally the worst defense in the NFL and the Broncos this coming Sunday. Did the Packers open? Do we have a line yet on that Packer game? They always have the opening lines out. Let's just guess before I get to it. I honestly have not seen it. I would guess the Packers against the 1-5 and five Broncos. It's in Denver. I'd say the Packers are going to be one-point favorites. Let's click on the link. Ah, they're one-point favorites. I Honest to God, I didn't look at it. Wink. No, I really didn't. I didn't. I did not. One of my favorite things to do is to guess the line. Guess what the line would be before it comes out. Yeah, one-point favorites. So typically three points for home field. So you would say on a neutral site, Packers would be four-ish point favorites. That feels about right. It'll be a 325 kickoff on CBS on Sunday afternoon. It'll be nice to get the Packers back on Sunday. We have now had three straight fall Sundays with no Packer game. They had a Thursday game, a Monday game, and then a bye week. I missed that Packer game on Sunday. We'll get it back this weekend. On Friday, we'll dive more into that. We will get set for Packers and Broncos, and you hope maybe getting back to 500, and you really hope to see Jordan Love punch back. We've talked about the regression, how the last few weeks have not looked good after coming out very quickly to begin the year. Now with an extra week, and hopefully the team gets healthy, we are looking for a step forward again, looking more like he looked in week one or two or the fourth quarter of week three. We'll dive into that on Friday. We'll be talking about the Badgers and hopefully a revenge game against Brett Bielema on the road at Illinois. We'll be a step closer to the Bucks regular season, and we'll maybe talk a little baseball playoffs. I did see the Rangers got a win 
Watched a little bit about that last night against the Astros in Game 1. And that rowdy Philly crowd going to get revved up tonight with the Diamondbacks in Philly for Game 1 of the NLCS. We'll recap a little bit of that, too, on Friday. Have a happy, safe work week. We'll chat with you then.